This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. I'm Max Spence. Everyone engages in harmful behaviors from time to time, but some are much harder to stop and much more dangerous than others. In this week's story, teller Sophia Bostic offers a stark yet hopeful look into her struggle with the cycle of binging and purging. As this week is National Eating Disorder Week, I hope anyone for whom this fight rings true will keep fighting. If you find yourself in need of help, please check this episode's text description for a few resources. Recorded live at Pub 626 in Chicago in October 2019, Second Story is proud to present The Fun Isn't Over Once You're Full. June 12, 2004, Chicago suburbs. It was my 13th birthday, and I decided that instead of celebrating my birthday with my family, I would go celebrate my classmate Lindsay's birthday and tell no one there was my birthday too. Lindsay was insignificant in of herself, but she was the gateway to the popular girls in my class, the gnome before the magical bridge. Are you sure? My parents asked. Yes, I'm sure. I jumped out of my parents' car, marched confidently down the stone pathway to the front door of Lindsay's house, and rang the doorbell. Lindsay's mother, a lanky blonde with black rimmed glasses, answered. She didn't know my name. Hello, we're so happy to have you. Come on in, they're all in the kitchen. I had prepared for the suppression of the secret that it was my birthday too, but I had not prepared for the fact that 13-year-olds do not make small talk. I failed to realize that if these girls did not speak to me at school, they would not speak to me at this party. For the next hour, I stood around the living room table, awkwardly swayed from side to side, and attempted to insert myself into the girls' conversations. I laughed when everyone laughed. I spoke over the bubbling chorus of girls so I could make a point too. Remember that time in Boy Meets World? But no one remembered. I didn't know what to say when they spoke of Bridget's basketball party last Friday. I didn't chime in when plans were made to go to Ozzy's outdoor water park later that summer. But then the pizza arrived, and it was Domino's Pizza and Domino's cheese pizza can only be described as majestic. (laughs) When Lindsay's mom opened the top of the many, many cardboard boxes and the steam rose from the pizza, I knew I was safe because I wouldn't have to talk anymore. I lifted two slices and gingerly placed them on my paper plate. I strolled into the adjacent living room and sat down on the carpeted floor by the couch. Girls gathered around me on the couch, on the floor, laughing and talking and eating. After two slices, I realized that if I kept eating, I wouldn't have to talk because I would be too busy eating. So I got up and placed another two slices on my plate. I ate them quickly. It felt so good. I got up and put two more slices on my plate. No one kept tabs on me. I ate the other two slices. And then the cake came. 13 lit birthday candles and three heavy frosted slices later, it began. In every war, there is one key battle which shifts the trajectory of the war for one side, good or bad. The vital turning point, the moment in time where the story was flowing one way and then, like that, it changed. 
That birthday party marked my shift. I became a binge eater. Like all sins, it started in secret. Certain binge foods were more desirable than others for certain times of the day. Summer afternoons were for Ruffles potato chips. This was perfectly coordinated to ABC Family's three-hour-block airings of Step by Step with Suzanne Summers. Whenever my mom and sisters, Alex and Bianca, went to the pool, I shrugged off the invitation to go. I acted so bored until they would leave. As soon as I would hear the front door close, I'd sprint to the kitchen. On the countertop, there was a Costco-sized blue and white bag of Ruffles potato chips. The first time I binge ate Ruffles, I ate with the grace of a trumpet swan. I selected a bowl, perfectly poured the Ruffles to the rim, and strolled to my parents' bedroom. I sat on their bed and ate the entire bowl while watching Step by Step. This method proved to be inefficient and cumbersome. Every commercial, I had to get up from the bed, go back to the kitchen, fill up my bowl, and then walk back. Like the step-by-step -step theme song, I was hoping to make it better the second time around. <laughs> it was a lot of effort and took away from the relaxing experience of hand-to-mouth, crunch, salt, greasy fingers, back-to-bowl, theme song of step-by-step, -step, crunch, salt, greasy fingertips. I started to bring the bag to my parents' bed and eat straight from the bag, arms in, elbows deep. Much better. Evenings were for ice cream. A Costco brand Kirkland signature gallon of vanilla ice cream consistently occupied our freezer. I would bring it down to the basement where there was a couch and a television. I also brought a pink fleece blanket as well. In peace, I would sit in the basement, swaddled in the blanket, eating spoon after spoon. Your sin will find you out. One time, Bianca came downstairs. I quickly concealed the gallon of ice cream with my blanket. What are you doing? She asked. She was 12 years old. I was 15. Oh, just watching TV. I locked eyes with the television, refusing to look at her. Slowly, she walked over and ripped off my plank blanket. There on my lap was a half-eaten gallon of ice cream. What are you doing? I stared back at her and said nothing. I thought I was cured. From the age of 19 until I was 24, I didn't binge. I lost and then maintained my weight. I graduated college. I was in law school. I had a long-term boyfriend. I thought I was a normal person now. Yes, there were days when I ate too much like Thanksgiving and Christmas, but I never felt out of control. The week before my 24th birthday, the man whom I had discussed marriage and children and future houses for the past five years stopped speaking to me. On the day of my 24th birthday, he texted me, do you want me to drop off your present? I replied, I don't care what you do. Around 6 p.m. before I had birthday dinner with my family, he showed up at my parents' house. We need to talk. I came outside to meet him. We stood there on the front porch. Though it was June, the air was cool, the stone on the ground damp. It had rained earlier. I was not wearing a jacket and I was cold. He tossed my gift Lady Gaga and Tony Bennett concert tickets at my feet. I bent down to pick them up off the floor. I had wanted to go so badly. I don't think you try hard enough, he told me. Bianca, who years before had caught me binging on ice cream in the basement, was listening on the other side of the door. 
I love you, but this is not working for me anymore. He turned around and strode down the driveway to his car. I turned back to the door and opened it to go inside. Bianca was there, staring at me. She was taller than me now. Sophie, she said, if anyone ever says to you again, I love you, but you be the one to walk away. You don't stand there for the excuse. I, <laughs> I did not cry that summer about the relationship, and I did not eat that summer about the relationship. A few months later, in an effort to move on, I dated a man from work for four months. Well, I was an intern, and he was not an intern. <laughs> His dad was a judge, and he bought the parking for our dates beforehand. <laughs> and he was much older, and I thought it was all so wondrous. It ended because I was not the person he was looking for because I was not Catholic. He told me, I have a vision of what my life should be like. You do not match that vision. And I will be alone forever. I realized it that night. The next day was Super Bowl Sunday. A family friend was hosting a Super Bowl party. I arrived an hour late because I argued with myself for too long about whether or not I should go. I told the party host of my fresh breakup and his circumstances, and then I went to the table set up in the kitchen to serve myself from the plethora of American football party food she and her husband had catered. There were wings, there was pizza, there was pretzels and chips and Cheetos. And I snapped. I ate five slices of pizza, 10 wings, four cupcakes, three Hawaiian rolls, pretzels, chips, Cheetos. I didn't speak to anyone at the party because I was too occupied eating and eating in the corner of the couch. Back and forth I went, from the table to the couch with a plate of food, and then up to the table and then back to the couch. Up went my arm to raise the food to my mouth, down went my arm to pick more food up from my plate. Up and down, up and down, like the motions of a fracking device dredging up oil in the deserts of the Dakotas. I left the party not being able to breathe, and I gained five pounds the next morning. And it began again, but it was harder this time. For every binge came the purge that followed. I refused to gain weight. I finished my last semester of law school trying to limit my binges to once a week, starving myself the rest of the week. While studying for the bar exam for my law license, I forced myself to sit and study at the library with no food because when I studied at home, I binged. One night, in the dark, on my couch, I ate an entire jar of peanut butter and I puked it the next day. And then I couldn't find a job. And I binged because I told myself I would stop once I started working. Then I got a job. At my job, I was powerful. I made grown men cry when I sent them to jail. Then, after work, I'd go to the CVS and I'd buy two full-size bags of crackers, two jars of peanuts, and a packet of diuretics. And I'd finish them within an hour. I tried to stop. I sat and ate at my kitchen table. I thought the structure would help. It did not. I bought a box of protein bars at Costco. One night, standing at my kitchen counter, I ate the entire box of protein bars, 24 total, by eating half of each bar and then throwing the rest away in the garbage. My garbage can looked like a battlefield of amputee protein bars, mutilated, disfigured. I got another job, but I couldn't run away from myself. So I repurchased those protein bars. 
and I mutilated them again, standing in a different kitchen, but still standing at a kitchen counter. After one binge, I physically could not get up, called in sick to work, and slept for 14 hours straight. There's a swollenness that comes afterwards. The swelling of your stomach, the swelling of your arms, your face, your fingers, as the excessive nutrients and calories you absorbed start to seep out of you, like a pond that has had its fill of rain. And then one day, in the midst of the war, the one key battle happened, the shift. I woke up one morning inflated, like a drifting balloon animal in the sky. I was miserable. And I realized I had made myself sick. Sometimes the very act of proclaiming truth can set you free. I am sick. I am in recovery and it is a process. A process of three meals a day and then stopping because I'm scared of getting fat and restricting and then binging and realizing I have fallen again, then getting back up. It is March and my parents are about to meet my new boyfriend. I'm nervous because I cannot place into words the feeling that this feels different, like maybe I won't be alone forever. We go to a place where the lighting is dim and the waiter wears a tuxedo. My dad wears a sports coat. I wear a black lace dress. I drink a couple glasses of wine, Sauvignon Blanc, because anything sweeter makes me gain weight. Toward the end of the evening, I stand up from the table, excuse myself to the restroom. Wine drunk and feline-esque, I saunter down the long hallway to the beautiful cream-colored wooden door with the gold placard, ladies. The restroom has two stories with a flight of stairs leading up to the assembly line of stalls. The lower level has perfect Instagram-esque lighting and four mirrors which capture the figure in front of it from every angle. In my wine days, I approach one of the mirrors, straighten my posture, and stare at myself. Really just look at who I am, this figure in this black dress. Why do I punish myself? I've been with myself for 27 years, and I hope to be with myself for many more. I stare at myself in the mirror. I give myself grace. This story was produced by Jenna Myers, curated by Elizabeth Blondell, directed by Matthew Ferries, with music and sound design by Michael Benedict. The Second Story podcast is produced by Max Spitz. Second Story is supported by the MacArthur Fund for Art and Culture, the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation, Skadden Arp Slate, Meager and Flome, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, the Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, CoBank, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Max Spitz, and this, this, this is the Second, Second Story Podcast.